Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I am Nate. Welcome to our Andrew Bell episode. Today we will be talking to Andrew Bell about his latest album, Nightshade. It is an awesome album. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, definitely go ahead and do that if you'd like, because we will be talking about the album. Um, But... If not, that's fine. You can continue listening here. We will be talking about Nightshade with Andrew Bell. We are excited for you to hear the interview. It really was a great interview and fun for Nate and I to interview one of our favorite artists um, there. And Andrew Bell was so nice and uh, very gracious with his time. So we hope you'll enjoy the episode. So, Nate, you ready to jump into our interview with Andrew Bell? Yes, sir. All right, today we have with us Andrew Bell to discuss his mind-blowing fourth full-length LP, Nightshade, with us today. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. So before we start, Andrew, we were wondering if you'd be down to play a little game we like to play called How Blank Are You? So today, it's How Andrew Bell Are You? <laughs> and it's really just for us to figure out, actually, pre-interview, Andrew was basically jokingly doing this very thing. It's to figure out how we can be cool by copying whatever you answer <laughs> will be our new answers to these things. Oh, man. Um, so... Feel free to share your opinion, knowing full well that it will form the opinions of others. <laughs> all right. No first pressure. question. No pressure. No, no pressure at all. First question: shoes or sandals? Ooh, I'm gonna say shoes because although I do wear Birkenstocks frequently, I don't really have what you would describe to be like very attractive feet. And so it's not a great... How would you describe very attractive feet? Well, just, they're very, they're just, you know, I I clip my toenails and all, but that's about the best I can do. I just, you know, some people have more proportionate toes. Like, like, for example, my, my middle toe is longer than the big toe. Isn't that, it's, it's really weird. I'm the same way. Yeah. So anyways, Supposedly you're more athletic when you have that. Well... Tell that to my golfing buddies because uh, I'm not good at golf. I've been trying to get at golf, trying to get good at golf lately, and uh, it's a it's a it's a painstaking process. But to answer your question, uh, I'm going to choose shoes. Although I do wear sandals frequently, especially right now because it's super hot. All right. In a movie theater, do you get popcorn or candy? Oh man. Uh yeah, I'm a Sour Patch Kids guy. <sighs> me too. So. Yeah, this makes me Sour happy. Patch Kids. My wife and 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 I can get away with that though because my wife is more like the she would she hates candy so she's she'll she'll cover us with the popcorn I'll cover us with the candy, but yeah that's usually my role in a relationship, the candy guy. Yeah, I just love like defining one's role in a relationship as a candy. Yeah, guy. yeah. <laughs> All right, um, baseball parks or national parks? Uh, man, it's funny because. I'm a really big sports guy, but baseball is maybe my least favorite sport. Um, but I'm also not, I'm not a huge outdoors guy, although I do, you know, appreciate it when I've been exposed to it. But I would say, I'd say baseball, give me a baseball park. I, I just recently last week, um, I have a friend who works for the Cubs here in Chicago where we live. And I, and I, you know, I, I never wanted to ask him for tickets because he's he's like given me tickets in the past and it's been really sweet and generous and and after a while you know like you don't want it to f- seem like you just expect that every time but i you know i wanted to see him i knew he's gonna be at the ballpark so I, I bought tickets myself and i just said hey man you know i'd love to see you and of course he like upgraded our seats to like right behind home plate with access to the you know the it's um under, i don't know if a lot of people don't realize this but underneath home plate they dug out under wrigley field and it's it's just it's giant restaurant and bar and everything's if you have access to it everything's comped and so i had an incredible experience at wrigley last uh well two weeks ago now and uh and so for that reason i will say baseball park wow that's a good reason oh man that's a very good reason (laughs) 
Yeah. All right, spring or fall? Uh, I'm going to say fall because although both are great for as they are like a reprieve from the extremes of the weather that we see, but I love the fall. I feel like we get to get back into it. I was, I was just telling my wife this the other day. I love when you round the corner into September and school starts again, you're back on a schedule, back on a routine, the weather's cooling off, football's starting back up. I don't know. The holidays are kind of around the corner. I just, I love all that. So, yeah. I'm going to do a quick follow-up question that is not, well, I mean, it's pretty close. This just made me think, I have been listening to Nightshade a lot, and okay. I just realized when I asked it that in my mind, Nightshade is a fall album to me, that like that's how I perceive it. Do you yeah. perceive Nightshade as any sort of season? Is there any connection to any season for you, or <laughs> it's all seasons? I, I think I think all my records feel like fall records mm-hmm. to me. Um, Black Bear dive deep and now nightshade have all released right at the end of august yeah and sort of bleeding into the fall where i get out and i get on the road and i play some shows and you know so all the albums in my mind feel like you know they encapsulate that season and uh yeah so i think that's accurate to say and and also you know just yeah the mood is just darker and yeah it just fits you know winter fall winter yeah so this might be a layup for you chicago deep dish (laughs) or new york style pizza um i there was maybe a time when i was younger where i'd be like deep dish for sure you know but like as i've gotten older and like i you know i can't eat what i used to when i was younger it's like and my wife has really turned me on the thinner style pizza and we, we make pizza a lot um she bought me this cookbook from um this this guy in philadelphia who has this super famous pizzeria and he kind of lays out exactly how to make this recipe that he does in his restaurants at home and so i've geeked out on that and i've become sort of the pizza connoisseur of the of the neighborhood here and uh it's it's thin (laughs) as thin as possible i just yeah too much bread and i'm just i'm just not happy yeah so i just feel terrible so yeah give me as thin as possible all right well you were very honest about that question so (laughs) your next question is honesty or others feelings Mm, i'm gonna go others feelings Mm -hmm. yeah i just think it's like i wonder if i should say this on on uh on on the podcast but whatever (laughs) it's like when like it's like when my grandma is like uh you know after thanksgiving or whatever and she's like hey will you will you take this pie home with you like we're not gonna eat it or all this food you know there's just all this you know all this heavy heavy stuff and it's like i can in this moment be like nana I'm not going to eat this and it's your problem now or (laughs) (laughs) or I can spare her feet. No, like it'll make her feel great to in her mind think that I'm going to go home and just, and like just put the best use to all these leftovers and pound it and and have, I've got the metabolism of a, you know, a 20 year old again. And she doesn't need to know that I'm going to stop at the first gas station I see and just unload it for her, (laughs) you know? And so that's kind of how I go through life. That's perfect. <laughs> Don't send this link to my grandma. I was going to say, hopefully your grandma doesn't listen to podcasts that regularly. Oh, man, she might. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out uh, you'll have chosen honesty in that moment. Yeah. But next question, reading or writing? Um, reading. Reading, which is ironic as a songwriter. But uh, I, I like writing. You know, it's it's my job. But um but I do find it to be exhausting and reading is just a, is a relaxing thing that I feel like I don't get, I don't actually end up doing as much as I'd like to, but when I find a good, a really good book, that's like one of my favorite things is when you find a book that you just can't wait to, to get back to, uh, you know, like a, a page turner. So. All right. Recording or playing live. Oh, recording hundred percent. No, no, no two ways about that. Um, I, I got into music really just because I like writing and, and making music. And then the, the, the performing part was sort of a consequence of figuring out now how to, <laughs> how to, uh, you know, present this to an audience. And yeah. that's just kind of what you do. And, and, uh, so I did that for a long time. I still do it occasionally. I'm about to play some shows this fall, but I just, I'm not a performer. I, did, I didn't get into music because I was like a, a really captivating performer. It was just, I feel like I had a skill at writing and I, kind of taught myself how to sing well enough to record these songs I was writing and you know but performing live is just so stressful and there's so many 
you know, I'm always worried about getting sick on the road and like, you know, not being able to play the shows or like, are people going to show up? It's just, there's so much stress around it. That I just, I could, I could do without it. <laughs> yeah. Now, one thing I'll mention, I mean, it shows in your music, how into recording you are. Um, mm-hmm. the, the music always sounds incredible. Um, Thanks. I, I got the opportunity to see you a few years ago opening for Matt Carney and I was blown away cool. with you live. And I think one of the things that I'll say as far as that, I feel like you play live music for musicians, like like mm. a musician from the technical aspect. It was mm. one of the most impressive like musical performances I've heard. And you're not like running all over the stage and right. and doing crazy stuff, but like I loved it. It's like oh, one of thanks, my favorite man. shows. So it was it's really cool uh to hear kind of that but also i mean yeah man any anyone who hasn't seen andrew bell live get tickets i know we're starting to run <laughs> out you. of tickets here but uh but yeah. see him live because it's definitely worth it thank you man I, which um city did you come to uh philly i live in philly nice so, yeah. i remember that that was we played uh gosh what's that room called uh, uh the fillmore yes i think you were at yes so uh next question this is a personal one now you don't have to answer. Okay. This is a personal question. You don't have to answer. But Nate and I have a vested interest in this because this is a conversation we've had ourselves, and okay. each one of us. It's not like an argument or anything. It's not much of an argument. It's but it's one more of just us preference. has a preference here. Okay. And one of us has a like more accurate <laughs> preference. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so black bear or dive deep? Uh, black bear. Yeah. Yes, let's go. Let's freaking go. Yeah, I just, I I really am proud of Dive Deep. I am. I mean, there's maybe a handful of things I'd go back and tweak or change or whatever, but um, Black Bear, and and same with Black Bear, you know, with everything I do, there's always a a change I would make in retrospect, but Black Bear was just such a magical little season when I made that album. I was like getting married, I was engaging, about to get married, and so life is just like crazy around that time and so everything's so new and, and sonically I was making music that I hadn't made before and that was scary but also exciting and um yeah so I just have such a fond memory for that that whole record making process so yeah so all right you can you can rebound you yeah. can we'll see what happens you can um you don't have to we're not going to force you one way or the other. So okay. I am from Philly. Nate is from Boston. Okay. So we always ask the final question here, Philly or Boston? Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, I love both. I really love this. It's not a cop out. And I will answer. But like, I love the East Coast. I love how I love the history of it all. I love like history is a really exciting thing for me. And both obviously Philly and Boston have like equal amounts of history in our, our country. And so it's sort of a tie there. Yeah. Um, I, I love like how small every, like it's just, everything's just like, it's like those cities, New York, Philly, Boston, like everything's just yeah. on top of each other. Like it feels very European. Yeah. Um, which is cool, man. Boston being like right on the water is, it's pretty rad. I, I think I'm going to go Boston. Okay. You know, people are two angry for two, there. Dude. I know. Uh, we're we're like we're angry, but we're and we're mean, but we, we're we have kind hearts. I think <laughs> deep down, it's. I'll, I'll explain it like this: like I had a neighbor that didn't talk to me really for like two or three years, <laughs> but during a big snowstorm, he like just helped he had a snowblower he like helped plow our driveway yeah it's like that type of yeah. culture right it's... we're in philly people won't talk to you and won't help you just... yeah yeah <laughs> i'm from philly I'm and kidding. i'd probably rather kidding. get lost in boston than philly yeah i think uh yeah. it depends if you're talking sports and stuff both both fan bases are a little crazy with sports but philly yeah. uh yeah. one has a winning history yeah. philly doesn't know they're the city yeah. of brotherly love they just <laughs> you know that's a tough one though, man. But I like even like food wise, like I know Philly has great food, but just the Boston being on the water and like oysters and, and seafood and all that stuff. And you go down to that little what's that like Italian district? There's like that one street. Oh yeah, the North End. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like I don't know. I just have such fond memories from touring. Like my 
the first time I ever really traveled the country, driving from New York City to Boston in, you know, the, in October and the leaves are changing. It's like so gorgeous. And you get there and like the air is crisp and, you know, the, the seafood is fresh. And I don't know. I just uh, I have such fun memories of that. So it's a tight one, though. It's a tight. That's a, that's a tough call. You you don't need to worry about his feelings. No. Okay. We know it's Boston in a way. So yeah. That's all right. All right. So moving more to your music uh, in general than than that, um, with the release of Nightshade, I'm sure fans can't wait to hear some of these songs live. You've already announced four fall shows in Chicago, New York City, Nashville, and L.A., and a few of those yeah. shows are already sold out. Uh, so what can you share about what fans can expect to experience at these shows, and do you have any other show plans kind of in the works at this point? Well, uh, yeah, so there was a point in February uh, in which I kind of had to make the decision, which seems wild, um, you know, deciding about shows in September, but I had to make the decision um, if whether or not I was going to do a big, ambitious um, national headline run, you know, with full band and full production, kind of like what you saw us do in, um, back in 2018 at the Fillmore. Um, but I don't know, just everything was just still really murky and un- unclear about how the fall was going to look. You know, we were just at that point starting to get optimistic or, or cautiously optimistic about touring again and, and the people being in the rooms again for live music. And I just had this instinct that it was, the fall was still a little soon and it was going to be tricky logistically, you know? And then all of a sudden like April, May, June come along and like everything's opening up and it's like, well, we're back to normal. And I was like, shoot, maybe I should have done like a full big run, you know, but now, mid-August it's like everything is like blowing up again and everyone's you know I don't know everything's getting wild again so I don't know in retrospect I'm glad I made the call to just keep it to these four shows although I I apologize that I neglected your two cities um it was that (laughs) was really my call that was kind of my manager's decision but um what we decided to do in lieu of like a big run a tour like we would normally do we just let's just play four sort of like intimate acoustic shows which i i don't do very often actually um and so i just wanted to basically i didn't i didn't want to put out the album and then just you know do all this work and the new music's coming and then it's just album release stays exciting and then the next day it's just all over i wanted to like follow up with some live shows and keep kind of the, the energy going around this record so i agreed to play these four acoustic shows keep them super simple i'm not going to be trying to drive city to city we're just going to fly um, that's why they're so spread out. Um, and, uh, my buddy, I have a friend named John Guerra, um, uh, who, or Jonathan Guerra, who is, uh, a, a really great artist and I've known him forever. He, he's, we went to high school together. We, um, he's performed with me and performed on my records and produced some stuff. And anyway, so we're great pals. And we just, I, I just, in my head, I thought if I'm going to play some shows this fall, I want it at least be fun and something I'm looking forward to. So um, he's going to play alongside me and, and open the shows as well. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're just going to be like these intimate little, you know, like we're playing smaller rooms than we normally would. Um, they're going to be the kind of these intimate um, acoustic shows. So, and then, you know, 2022, a year from now, um, hoping, you know, the world looks a little more normal than it does today. And, and maybe we can do a full big, full band full production thing again so yeah that's where we're at so we wanted to oh sorry oh you're good we want to take a few steps uh back before we talk about nightshade specifically first in terms of your songwriting you've said that personally the composition comes first then the melody next and then the lyrics after you've really let the music set in um and the melody really like wash over you you can really give your heart to it lyrically how has that songwriting process developed or evolved from the beginning of your music writing days until now Mm -hmm. has it been a change has it developed anyway or has it been a pretty uh straight constant for you yeah um it's evolved slightly just in my um ability to create a sonic landscape around myself when i'm when i'm writing and and making demos and things because when i first when i first started writing music um i don't even really remember like 
you know, 12, 13 years ago, how I recorded myself. Cause I don't even think I had an iPhone. So maybe I had some kind of like microphone on my laptop or something or, um, you know, but so back then it was just me with an acoustic guitar jotting down ideas to take to a studio where we could bring them to life. That was like my, the first season, that was my first record called the ladder. And, and then black bear, I bought logic and a little MIDI keyboard. I started just tinkering around with the built-in loops and like, I, I didn't have any out, you know, third-party plugins or anything. It was just all like the stock stuff that Logic gives you, which sounds so cheesy. But it, it was actually just kind of that first step I needed to kind of just start exploring um, a different musical direction for myself. And then by the time I got to dive deep, I had begun discovering plugins and other additional gear and hardware that I could add. I started I started to learn how to record my own vocal actually, which has been really helpful. Um, just cause in the early days that was such a, a battle was, you know, or an anxiety for me was recording vocals, um, where it's like, all right, man, today's the day. Hope you got it. You know, <laughs> yeah. we got three hours to nail this. There's just so much pressure around that. And I'm again, like going back to what I said before, I'm not like this natural performer. So I just, to get the, the vibe that I'm going for vocally takes a while sometimes for me. And so eventually learning how to do it myself is such a freeing thing and, and then this most recent record for, for Nightshade, I just feel like I just, yeah, I continue to build on that. I just have way more little tools and tricks and keyboards and gear and software and stuff that like I actually can make like pretty decent sounding demos. Um, and I can create these sonic uh, worlds uh, a lot, just a lot easier than I used to. Um, and then I can come into the studio with like way more fleshed out ideas um, that helps inform, you know, where my producer wants to go with things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's subtle. That's, that's the the writing part. And then, you know, the, um, as far as like the, it's, I still, I, I don't think I've changed too much though, as far as how I approach, you know, it always starts with the music first, four chords or whatever, three chords, and then a vibe, a beat, a groove, and then mumbling some kind of melody, you know, it's usually in, I, <laughs> I usually write in a in a high falsetto vocal because I'm I'm more I have more range that way and more flexibility with what I can do with my voice and then and then from there I generally will adapt it down to my my normal singing voice. Although on this record, there ended up being more songs than usual that just felt right sung in a high falsetto voice rather than a full voice, and so I end up just keeping them in the high falsetto because it just felt right rather than trying to force it down into my natural singing voice. So, um, but yeah, I just, you know, and then eventually I kind of find a few phrases or a few words that pop out that, that feel good or that, I, um, I don't know, that just, I resonate with. And then I kind of think about, think on those and ruminate on those and, and then try to find a shape or a direction. Like I'm chasing a thread, you know, and then eventually, I, you know, eventually I put together a song and I'll kind of take a step back and I'll look at it and try to figure out what I'm trying to say about it and, or say with it. And, um, yeah, sometimes some songs end up being a little more ambiguous than others. And some songs, um, have like a more literal, you know, meaning behind them, but, uh, that's kind of the process. And that part of it hasn't changed a ton. It's more just, the, you know, the tools I have around me. So on Nightshade, you and some of your collaborators, Chad Copeland, James McAllister, and Simo went down to Sonic Ranch Studios in Tornillo, Texas, uh, which has been the birthplace of some really incredible records from the likes of artists like Bon Iver and Beach House. So what went into the decision to go to Sonic Ranch, and how did it meet or compare to your expectations? Um, well, Sonic Ranch is, is this, just this really cool sort of oasis. Um, like destination spot that my producer Chad, um, I've been working with him now on this is our third record together. We began together on Black Bear in 2012. We started making that record, um, and he's been telling me literally for like almost 10 years now about about Sonic Ranch Studios and how he'll go down there once or twice a year with a band to just sort of like find this remote place to hang out for a few weeks and make a record. And it it costs a little bit more to do it that way than for me to fly to Norman, Oklahoma, where he lives and works, and and I can make a record with him pretty inexpensively, um, just as far as like um, you know hotels and all that stuff. It, it, but this time around, I don't know. I just felt like um, I felt like it would make sense just to 
to make this more of a thing. And and especially now, because, you know, we're all a little bit older than we were 10 years ago, obviously. And, and you know, all, like when we first started making records together, none of us were married. None of us had kids. You know, life was simpler. And now we all are married, have kids. And, and it's harder to, to like work, um, you know, the kind of hours that it takes sometimes to make something special. And so it felt right for all of us to sort of retreat um, from our normal lives for a few weeks and, and, you know, really give uh, this record the attention that, that we wanted to have. And, and, uh, it was great. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. It's right on the border of Mexico. It's, it's just outside of El Paso in Tornillo, Texas. It's on a, um, it's on this huge, I think it's like a 3000 or 5,000 acre, uh, working pecan farm, um, is where that's where the studio exists. So the pecan farm is the main, you know, function of this property, but then the owner of the pecan farm is also, and I, again, I don't know if it's pecan or pecan, I guess, depending on where you're yeah. from, but we'll call <laughs> yep. it pecan. And I can't remember what he told me. Um, but anyways, it's, uh, he's just a, a, a music enthusiast. And at some point he built a studio on the property and way back then, like bands like, um, Mars Volta and like at the drive-in these bands that are from that area of Texas, used to go and record like these like metal Texas like death metal bands or just heavy metal bands would record there. And then some like, like all more alternative um, bands started uh, discovering it like a like beach house a long time ago, started making records there, which I I've gotten really into beach house in the last few years. And, and uh, they made some of the early albums there. And now, you know, and then, then a few summers ago, like Bonnie Vare caught wind of this place and he went and made his II album there. And, so it's become, you know, in the last couple of years, it's more on the map. I think Arcade Fire just is wrapping up their most recent record there. So now it's like a thing. Um, but it's it's funny, though. It wasn't like, um, it still felt, uh, how do I say this? It, it felt um, cozy and welcoming, but like not like, I don't know. They didn't try to, um, they haven't tried to, as it's gained popularity, they haven't tried to like make it, super bougie or anything like that it's like it still feels like you're you know visiting mexico or something and and, and honestly like the, the the staff that work there they come over the border from mexico every day and like the women in the kitchen like in the morning they'll cook for you which is incredible i've never had homemade um like genuinely homemade uh, mexican meals before which i loved and that was such a cool thing and i don't know so all that all that combined it was just remote and quiet and it was a, I think we spent 10 days there laying foundations for this record. We didn't make the whole thing there, but 10 days worth, you know, was enough for, for the foundation of it. And, uh, yeah, it was really, really cool. So some quick stats that I feel like are telling to kind of where your music is going or at least went for Nightshade. So Black Bear is 10 songs and it's 47 minutes. <laughs> Dive deep. 11 songs, 47 minutes, so like a little shorter. Is that right? And then, yeah, in terms, obviously per song shorter, same amount sure. of time. I didn't realize um, it was and then, April 47. Yep, right, right. Well, I don't want to say right on the nose because that <laughs> wouldn't be true, but yeah, yeah, they're both 47. And then Nightshade is 10 songs, 35 minutes. <laughs> so that's a 12-minute drop-off, which yeah. is basically like 25% of the total runtime for the past yeah. two records. Yeah. Do you feel like that progression reveals anything about your songwriting? Was that at all intentional? Were you aware of that? I, I'm just going to throw all those out there. No, I, I did know it was 35 because I've, I've had to do a lot of like, you know, uh, back end admin work. You know, I don't, I have a manager, but that's about it. It's just like me and him and we do everything. So I know, a lot, I have to input a lot of data on the back end. So I knew it was 35. Um, I did not know that the other two were 47 each. That's kind of funny. Um, yes, that does feel right to me that, that is shorter. And, and the reason is um, when, when I was writing a lot of these songs, in fact, a lot of these demos are longer than, than what ended up on the record. But this time around, I feel like I've gotten a little wiser. I've, you know, I've made, this is my fourth record now. And, and I've, I've had a lot of time to look back on, things that I've created and, and, and say to myself, like, Oh, you know, I, I got a little gratuitous with this part, you know, like it didn't need to be 
16 bars, you know, it could have been half that or a quarter of that, something a little more concise. Um, you know, like it sounds like you guys know my music well. So like, for example, like dive deep, the first track on dive deep, it's a song called horizon. I love that song. I'm really proud of it, but I do, when I listen back to it, it does feel like the second verse or something like my, and my producer would just be shaking his head right now. Cause he told me when we were making <laughs> that song, he's like, dude, the song is so long and like, it's just really linear. And like, we just need some dynamic or like, we need to like shorten the second verse. And I'm like, dude, I know, but lyrically, like just what I'm trying to communicate here, I just, I can't part with any of these lyrics. I just like, they all have to be there. And anyways, I don't know. In retrospect, I listened to that song like, dude, it's just, I should have been a little more concise or, or efficient, you know? And so literally this time around, there was a couple songs that I chopped like two minutes out of um, this one song I'm thinking of. And then there's like, you know, and then also there's another song that's a, just a totally an instrumental and something I've never done before. Um, I've, I usually throw in the middle of my records, like a song that's a little bit of an outlier, but this was the first time I just didn't even try to sing on it. I just wanted it to be a, a, a musical moment. And, um, for that reason, I didn't want that to be over to, you know, just gratuitous indulgence, you know, just like eight minute instrumental. So that one's a shorter track. And then like the first song on the record was, um, it's called swimmers. And I wrote this song with my buddy, James McAllister. It was, it was an idea. It was like a 30 second idea that he had sent me and that I kind of, you know, turned into a song. And, I, and I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, um, my, my writing has gotten a little bit more, or at least where I'd like to go with my writing. And maybe this is kind of what you're alluding to is like, um, I think I'm more interested in writing songs that aren't so structurally, um, uh, you know, just normal or for lack of a better word, you know what I mean? Like everyone's got like an intro and a verse and a chorus and a verse and then a bridge. And I like starting that. I'm starting to write songs that are just a little bit more, um, freeform. <laughs> uh, you know, swimmers is a good example of that. And, um, for that reason, sometimes they end up being short, like two and a half minutes instead of four, you know, so that'll do it. But yeah, I think, I think if to, to answer your question, yes, it's intentional. And that's, that probably is, uh, a good uh, indicator of of where my interest in writing is is just kind of exploring non-traditional song structure going forward so so for me personally nightshade is your most subtle and refined record which is i mm. think what what i was trying to hint at with the last question a little bit um and you mentioned this chopping off um and not overfilling songs but I'm going to change up my question a little bit. I think your production, there's so much production in there, and yet it doesn't feel full on this record. It doesn't feel like my head is swirling, I can't keep track of everything. Yeah. Which I feel like some could happen when things are, like, overproduced. Yeah. I think you do a really good job of selecting, like, I'm not going to overcrowd this space while I'm still going to have, like, substance there. I'm still going to have, like, meat on the bone. It's just not going to be too much. Yeah. How do you how do you find that balance of when... Uh, and how did you find balance on Nightshade specifically of when there's a little too much production or not quite enough? Mm. Well, it starts with working with a good producer in it, which I have been lucky to do so for the last three records. Um, Chad is always trying to get me to, um, be a little more minimal, you know, cause to me as a, you know, I'm not, I'm just a songwriter. I'm not a producer or an engineer. And so everyone's first instinct is more and more and more, you know, and that's something I've had to learn over the last couple of records is like more is not always better. Um, and so that's something I've just learned to trust him with. Um, and, um, you know, creating dynamic subtly rather than just, you know, bigger and louder, everything. So that's kind of just something that he's always pushed me toward and that I've slowly loosened my grip on, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better word. And, um, yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I'm kind of, I haven't listened to the record in a while. Once I, once I close the book on an album, I try not to listen to it too much because then I'm worried I'll hear something that I'm like, oh shoot, you know, and then I'll get all I'll get all stressed <laughs> out that I forgot to yeah. whatever. So it's been a bit since I've listened that I can think of specific examples 
of when we use some restraint with that. But but over, in general, I would say like my producer Chad Copeland is largely responsible for the subtlety and the nuance, you know, <laughs> that um, is hard to achieve. Yeah. So you didn't start off as a pop artist, and maybe you don't wear that label yourself at all, but for all intents and purposes, you're an artist that makes pop music. And one of the strongest elements that would be um, essential in pop is melodies, and I would say that's one of your strongest qualities as well. So are your melodies... um, hard to come up with are they natural or have you had to kind of hone that uh, with a lot of practice um i would say yeah i mean you're right like i don't think of myself as a pop artist in the traditional sense of what you think of when you think pop music but let's face it like we're just talking about like popular sounding music which is what i create you know so um yeah i think melody um that's something I've always, if I have, if I've ever had one strong suit, it's been melody in, in combination with, um, with lyrics, you know, and everything else I've just had to learn how to do. Um, but yeah, that's not to like sound arrogant or whatever, but that's just like melody is something that's always come really naturally to me. And, um, sometimes I'll be working on a song and it's just not coming. And that's when I kind of know that like, as cool as maybe this might sound, it's just like this song isn't meant to be finished right now and I'll have to revisit it later. But um, usually I don't continue pursuing a song if it's not, if I'm not kind of getting that, that, um, that gut feeling, you know, when I'm like, which I, I don't know how to describe that, but like when I'm writing a melody and something comes out that just feels like, yep, that's it. And then sometimes something comes out that's just, or, or I just can't find that moment and then I'll let go of that song or I'll come back to it later. So yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but I just, um, that's just something that is, you know, some people are just naturally amazing singers. That's not me, but I will say, yeah, I think, I think melody is something that I, um, have a knack for. So, so it might not be reality, but for me, without a lot of context with the lyrics, this is, easily for me your darkest record lyrically and i also i also think instrumentally it's probably your darkest record dark bear was dark but it had its really bright moments i feel like dive deep was brighter that also had its dark moments they were kind of inverse in those ways but nightshade i guess nightshade would probably not the latter had some dark moments but nightshade would probably reflect the latter at least lyrically in terms of ladder being dark a light and nature being dark yeah. nightshade is like consistently dark for the most part yeah. um and i think what strikes me the most is as i've gone deeper and deeper into your lyrics from your whole discography and then specifically focusing on nightshade now what i notice the most is just how vulnerable and honest you are um specifically on this record what what led you or what has led you to take this approach with your lyrics and what's it like releasing songs to the world that are that can be extremely raw and gut gut wrenching at times Mm. well um yeah you are right i mean when i think about this album it definitely is a i don't know it's funny because i'm not like a super serious person in real life like i'm pretty um i don't know like i'm not like this tortured artist guy um but that is the music I gravitate toward. And I would say the one outlier, like my, my poor heart, you know, the first single we put out on this record is more of this like upbeat love song, like kind of pop. It's the poppiest thing in the album. Um, I like an album to have something like that, you know, um, but it's definitely the outlier of the record. The other nine songs are just like darker and heavier. Um, yeah. So I don't know that honestly, that's the music that I like to make. That's the music I like to listen to for the most part. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is, I've been, you know, I've written 50 something songs now and in the early days, it, it's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of like uncomfortable or awkward. You know, you're writing these like thought, thoughtful, um, but also vulnerable songs and like 
in the earliest days, like the only people listening to them are your friends and your parents, you know, and, and you feel kind of like, oh, this is weird, you know, um, it's like someone's reading, my, like my family's reading my diary or whatever. But as I've done this now for a long time and thankfully developed like fans, you know, who consume the music and appreciate it, I've, I've lost um, my embarrassment over that or insecurity about that, you know, um, cause I've just, you know, I find that people appreciate it and, um, relate to it and it means something to them for the most part. Um, and, um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, I mean, and as far as where that came from, I mean, like you said, all my albums, there, there are moments, um, this, it just happens to be the heaviest one, but, um, I don't know, maybe it's just the season of life, you know, um, I wrote most of this record, it's funny, um, Andrew, actually, shortly after I met you, like three and a half years ago when I got home from that tour, is about when I first started writing the, the first few songs for this album. Um, you know, life, at that point, I just, I had, we we had our first child, my daughter at that point was like two years old. Um, you know, life is just getting different, you know, like when you start having kids, life changes, life gets a little... I don't know, like more complicated and, you know, um, although obviously like, you know, it, having children is, it's this like amazing thing and there's so much joy that comes out of it, but also like your life utterly changes and it gets harder and like more frustrating and stressful sometimes. And like your relationship with your spouse changes in a lot of different ways. And you you know, you're working on that or battling that. And, and so, yeah, I mean, my wife and I had our second child a couple of years ago and, and like, you know, we've been in this era of like you know, pandemic COVID world for a year and a half. And there's just been a lot of like difficult stuff to navigate and all that, you know? And so, um, you know, for me, it's like, if I'm not writing about what's true and, and personal and real to me, I, I don't know. It's not interesting for me to write about. So I always try to just be really honest. And um, I, you know, I, I guess, Maybe I'm not doing a very good job at it, but like I do try to write in with some veil of ambiguity, so it's not like so literal, you know, that it's like uncomfortable. <laughs> but um, yeah, but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I um, I try to just be as honest as I can and and uh, let the chips fall where they may, <laughs> as they say. So. I feel like what's funny too is even my poor heart. Like it's not a hundred percent like bright. <laughs> like yeah. the the choruses, but like the verses are like yeah. stuffed with turmoil yeah. and like <laughs> tough times. You're right. But yeah. No. Yeah. For, for for sure. I guess I guess I I get like that's that's a good uh, reality check for me. It's like I feel like in my mind that's like a pop song and like it's mm-hmm. but really it's like it's like, it's like not. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. The chorus. I showed my wife, and she was like, "The song is so sad." Ah, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> but for you, it's the most positive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so continuing with the theming, you've mentioned that this record has to do partially with mental health, um, and it also feels like it discusses. And you just mentioned this now, like relationship. Um, type of um dark times or struggling times it deals with those themes as well how did you decide on the title nightshade if you if you feel comfortable sharing this how did you decide on the title as the best title to kind of represent the record and the main themes for you yeah well um let's see so how did it come about i had written that word down years ago i kind of keep a running notes pad thing on my phone of just you know words or lyrics or thoughts or ideas for songs and things and um nightshade was on there for a long time i didn't know if that was like the name of a song or just a lyric or whatever and um i first heard that word it's funny it's actually kind of a funny story um my wife um gosh i don't even remember what year this was but it was probably like 10 years ago now but she we went, she, she kind of drug me to this natural doctor, um, where they kind of did some tests on you to kind of figure out like your, um, gosh, what do they call it? Like essentially their whole thing was like, um, there's, there's like, I can't remember how many different types of, it, and it's basically it your blood. like Enneagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's sort of <laughs> like sorry. Enneagram, but no, it's more. Yeah, it's kind of like Enneagram, except it's more for like dietary stuff mm-hmm. and health, um, <laughs> physical health rather than mental. And um, 
<laughs> and it, it's all according to blood type and like according, you know, depending on your blood type, there's like certain things, certain foods that you should, that you'll thrive on and other things that are like, you had no idea, but like would be terrible for you, like a carrot or something or, you know, um, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. Like I heard my whole life I'm supposed to be eating carrots and it turns out they're bad for me or whatever. That's just an example. I'm not, I'm not, I don't remember what they told me, but what they told my wife was that um, nightshades were really bad for her. And I was like, what is a nightshade? You know, I never heard of that. And turns out nightshades are like tomatoes, peppers, potatoes, I think. Um, and immediately, you know, we're thinking like, oh my gosh, like pasta and pizza and like, you know, chili with like bell peppers, like all these things that like we love that she turns out are not good for her constitution and should not be eating because she just doesn't thrive on them. And we're like, all right, I guess we're cutting out all these things. You know, we're going to be healthy people. And then after like literally four days, it was like, no, we're not doing this. Like, yeah, I'm, we're not these rigid people. Like we enjoy food. <laughs> we'll, I guess we'll, we'll keep it in mind and in, in moderation or whatever, but like, and anyway, so I just, I don't know. That's just, a, I wrote that word down. Cause I just liked, I thought that was just a cool word. And, and the more I thought about it, I just started, you know, I started thinking about you know, a lot of, a lot of the theme around this record has a lot to do with, um, I mean, especially during like COVID, you know, um, the early part of it, like when people literally were just kind of in their houses and, um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, began to cope and deal with that season of life in, you know, unhealthy ways. Um, you know, using fill in the blank, whatever it is, whatever like your vice is to, to deal with life. Cause it was like a really crazy, scary year last year. And, um, and I found that it's just, I, I began to think a lot about that and like, why is it that we're drawn to things that aren't good for us to make us feel better? Um, and it, it reminded me of nightshades and my wife and how she's drawn to like, you know, tomatoes and potatoes and peppers and things that's apparently not good for her, but she can't let go of them. And, and so that's kind of where that came from, sort of that overarching theme of, for the record. Um, and then on top of that, just like, if you just break down the word, just like nightshade, I mean, the, the, like you said earlier, this the, it's just a darker, heavier feeling album and that title just felt right for it, you know, so it's sort of a double entendre in that way um yeah that's kind of the story behind it it's, it's pretty random but uh <laughs> that's where i came up with it that's cool i like how hearing how like you said people can kind of take their own perspective and then there's like multiple meanings and stuff one thing i was thinking about is potentially the fact that those plants grow in the night or in the dark times was kind of like reflective of your relationship with your wife throughout all that like mm. not a, a lot of turmoil but at least some yeah. turmoil and some tough times um but there it's a great title because there's tons of different uh takes you can have for sure yeah yeah and you know i like telling anecdotes and things like about about songs and when, when i find that they're i feel like they're interesting or informative or whatever but sometimes um i don't know i find like sometimes you can see behind the curtain a little bit too much and like your favorite song your favorite song is your favorite song because of what it means to you and your mind and some subliminal level of what, it, you know, what it's about. And I found that sometimes you, you find out what a song or an album's about and you're kind of like, it just changes it for you. Um, so sometimes I think those things are maybe better left for the, the listener to just, you know, decide. Yeah. So quick transitioning to a couple questions about track listing. How was the track listing process for you for this record? Did you head into the studio knowing the exact songs and track list? And if not, what was the process of nailing down the songs in their order? Man, that's a tough question. Um, well, actually, no, I'm sorry. It's not a tough question. It, it was a tough process. Um, tougher maybe than any album I've made. Um, I knew Nightshade was the title. Um, that just of all the titles just felt like the, like, like we just talked about, it just felt like just even on the surface, it was just a cool word. And then on top of that, it just really felt like it defined the record. So that was easy where to put it was tricky for me because like for me, um, I love that song, but it is, it's slow and it's like dark and heavy. And like, um, for me, I felt like a song that needs to get kind of tucked toward the back, you know, maybe that's like an insecurity or something, you know, I think about people listening to the song and if like track two is like this like super slow song, I'm going to lose them or whatever. But, um, 
and and I ultimately I did put it towards the end of the album, but my manager was actually the one who was really really into that song and and kind of pushed for it to be an actual single that we that we promoted um, and did a video for and everything. Um, but no, it was it was hard. I labored over it for a long time. I drove. I, I would get in my car and I'd put it all put all the songs on SoundCloud, and then I would sit there and drive around and I'd reorder the set, you know, the track listing on my phone, and then listen again. And you know, the first track, "Swimmers," was actually su- supposed to be the final track of the song, um, but then I don't know, some stuff got shifted around, and I needed a song. I, I wanted a song right out of the gate that was like not the not like the biggest and the best song, but just something that was solid and upbeat and exciting. And, and I don't know. Yeah. That's what, that's why that went there. I honestly, so like track six, for example, shorthand, it's an instrumental. And I wanted to put that song at the top of the record. I wanted that to be the, the, the intro. Um, I felt like that would just be a really surprising, bold move. Um, and, and uh, I don't know, ultimately I just, I don't know. I think I chickened out a little bit and uh, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I guess I was a little nervous at, at you know, the idea of like, well, it's ironic because you, you guys are obviously both male uh, uh, listeners of, of my music, but I look, I look at the demographics of my music and it's, it's, it's like 70, 30 female to male. And so I do, I think about that sometimes, you know, like um, a lot of my earlier music was a little like, more upbeat, you know, or, or um, ballady, you know, and so and as I've continued to make records, my music has gotten a little bit more, um, I don't know, a little darker, maybe a little more masculine. Is that maybe that's a, I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but like I do think about that sometimes on some level of like a large percentage of my listeners are female, and am I going to turn them off if like the first four songs of this record are like these more, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to describe them, but just like heavier, darker songs instead of more upbeat songs. So um, that they seem to be gravitating toward, uh, according to my, you know, Instagram insights and my uh, my Spotify backend <laughs> demographic breakdown. So um, I don't know. Those are things I think about, but it was challenging. Ultimately, I just had to say, okay, this is this is good. It works. I, I don't know if I'm going to find the perfect combination for this track listing, but uh, yeah. So sometimes demos can transform into something completely different on the final mix than than what they started out as. Uh, sometimes these changes are small but important variations. So what was the song that progressed or changed the most in the studio? You know, my my probably my poor heart. Um, that one I wasn't sure. I, I wrote it just on a keyboard. There was no there was no no uh, groove or beat along with it. It was just a, a piano and a vocal. And all that production around it was like the heavy synth based stuff and the, the the rhythm and stuff that all came from my producer Chad. Um, so that's one that like is drastically different than the demo. Um, and also, there's a song called Numbers um, that the demo is just a simple kick and snare drum beat, and um, I can't remember what kind of synthesizer I use. I don't know. I use my, I have a, I have a Prophet 6. I think um, I just found a cool tone on there and, and wrote the song, but it, that was all it was. It was just a synth, uh, synth bass kind of thing with a, a drum kick and snare beat along with it and the vocal. And then, you know, the, this song ended up having a lot of guitar on it. Um, there's a whole guitar melody that kind of carries a big part of that song. And then the end of the song really like, uh toward the end like the drums kick in and like all these heavy guitars come in which is kind of it's a little bit um i don't know surprising i guess because i'm not really a big guitar-y guy or like a lot of my music lately hasn't been very band sounding for lack of a better description that was just a moment that's a little bit of a throwback moment to like the younger me who really you know like in my 20s i was really into like bands like like one of my favorite bands even this day is called brand new i don't know if you guys know brand, oh, brand yeah. new is yeah oh, you do for sure. yep. oh, okay i'm obsessed with brand new always have been and um and so that moment on numbers when the drums kick in and the and it just gets kind of loud and almost like almost like too much that's a yeah. sort of a nod <laughs> that's like my brand new that's moment so interesting. Um, yeah <laughs> because brand new is such a specific band 
to to like pull inspiration from and now that you're mentioning it i can almost hear it in your dynamics even though it flushes out so differently for your sound but like you can almost hear the inspiration in that dynamic that's cool yeah yeah i've been they were um you know, I, in, in 2003, I was a sophomore in college, uh, and I drove to Chicago with some friends to see, I was a big dashboard confessional fan, you know, mm-hmm. t- 20 years ago and mm-hmm. like everybody else. And, um, <laughs> and I get there and I'm like, who's opening some band called, well, actually MXPX was the first band opening. Oh my gosh. What a oh throwback. Oh my gosh. Dude, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. MXPX. And then brand new was on after them. And, uh, I just, I didn't even... I didn't even care to stick around for dashboard after that. I was just, my jaw was on the floor. I was obsessed. I went home and just consumed everything. I mean, they only had two records at that point and I've just followed them really closely. And like Jesse Lacey is just somebody, a writer that I, I don't know that I would be a songwriter today without um, obsessing over his writing style and his lyrics and his, you know, the moodiness of his writing. So, so just a couple closing questions for the album artwork. uh, You've said that, Laura Dart showed you the photograph and you knew right away it would be the cover. What specifically spoke to you in that moment about the photo that brought such clarity and made it such an easy decision? Mm. Well, sort of like what I was saying before about songwriting and how you just kind of know when you know, um, that's, that's how it's, it's been along the way. So Laura is actually my sister-in-law. She's my wife's sister. And, um, she's a photographer. She began photography the same time I started music. So we kind of like, we both moved. Yeah. We moved to Nashville at the same time together. She, she to pursue photography and me to pursue um, music, obviously in, in like 2009. And um, so we've always been sort of like counterparts. Um, and so she shot like my very first record, the ladder, she shot that there's a photo of me standing on top of a ladder, very sort of on the nose. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I don't know when I remember, I remember sitting, you know, and, and now it's, you know, 2021 looking back 12 years ago, you know, I don't know that photo is kind of funny now, but um, I just remember in that moment being like, that's the one, like, it's just, it's, I'm, it's just perfect. You know, it's, it's quirky. And, um, and then same with Blackberry. Like I was scrolling through Instagram and a friend of mine, this, this, this woman, Denise Bobet, she's also a photographer. She, she, she had posted that photo from Blackberry of her kids, like at the drive-in movie theater or something. And I just saw it and it just, the, the mood of that image just resonated um, with me. And so I had to have it for the record. And, um, and then, I don't know, dive deep. I just thought that was a cool photo of me. I guess that yeah. was an outlier. And then, uh, but yeah, same with this. So Laura shows me this photo. I asked her if she had anything lying around I could look at. And she sent me a bunch of things were all really beautiful, but not necessarily the vibe. And then I saw that and that just like, it just oozed moodiness, you know? Um, um, we added it. I, I found a, um, I worked with a, a graphic designer who added the, the coloring to it. It has kind of this like pinkish, bluish, purplish thing going on on it. Her original photo obviously didn't have any of that. It's just like a, a film, a photo she shot on film out in New Mexico where she lives. And um, I don't know, it just, it just, like I said, it just, it just was pure mood. That's all the way I can describe it. And that's like I've said before, that's the music. I, that's the kind of music I like to write and make and what I'm going for. And it just felt like this is it. The same way, the same way that other photo for Black Bear felt like that's it. Yeah, that's so... So lastly, as we close, we like to share our favorite song from the album. We understand songs have feelings and you might not want to hurt them. So you don't have to share if you want to. But the fact that you've said Black Bear over Dive Deep makes me feel like you won't mind sharing a favorite song. So to give you time to think, we'll go first. Andrew, favorite song. Yeah. um, The song that gets me every time that I'm just like, I really love this song. Um is and i don't even know how to say it it's uh track four i-s-e-f-y-4 i guess it's i'm so excited for you four um and uh i just i don't know that song is so cool um the other one that i had thought about was actually numbers you mentioned not too long ago um and and i i i don't know it's track four track eight i feel like right like those tracks are just play so well to kind of, I don't know. The whole track listing is great, but yeah. Um, track four. Love it. Cool. Such a good track. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Um, 
it is called I'm so excited for you. Um, but like, you know, when we're sending song files to each other back and forth, it's, yeah. that was a long one to type. So we, we just abbreviated it. And then after yep. abbreviating it for <laughs> six months, we just were like, yeah, let's just leave it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think people will figure that out and I don't even know how to say it. Cause like when I've been talking about the song lately, cause that, that song is actually, uh, that's like the feature track from the record comes out in a few weeks. Like we, oh, wow. we, have, a vid- we have a video for it and everything. Nice. Um, and I've been talking about it lately and I don't even know how to say it. Like, I guess, yeah, yeah. I guess you just say ISCFY or I guess maybe I'll just start calling it. I'm so excited for you and people yeah. will figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was wondering yeah. if that like almost was an homage to what you did on dive deep with track six, like TRNT, yeah. like if like that was a thing that you're going for now is, is yeah. just abbreviating. Uh, it's kind of cool that it's happened two albums in a row. Not saying you have to, but, well, uh, yeah, but yeah, no, it's just, cool. it's, uh, yeah, that I think those are just very similar situations where yeah. it was longer song titles that we abbreviated and just kept yeah. it. It's funny though because um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, Simmel, this guy Simmel, who I collaborated with on this record and his music, but he has a song that I love uh, called uh, "Shoot." Uh, okay, well the song's called "Where Do We Go?" I love you, but his he abbreviated it as well, so I guess it would be. Uh, that we're, well, however you would do that it's a long yeah. title yeah <laughs> and he actually co-produced um i'm so excited for you um as well as my poor heart and so maybe there was some of that influence in there as well with the the acronyms yeah so andrew and i don't uh discuss the favorite songs beforehand because we like to be surprised but mine's actually numbers oh, um, oh wow nice which is funny i i think I, like andrew i went back and forth i'd be listening to a song i'm like yeah this is my favorite yeah. <laughs> easy don't don't need to answer this question anymore and then i'm like next song i'm like okay sick found my favorite song mm-hmm. don't have to think about this um but for me i think it's just more of a personal thing i t- my favorite songs tend to be the songs i like the least at the start okay and that th- that might not make sense but numbers for me the chorus refrain at first it didn't like hit as hard as i was expecting it to Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it started hitting hard (laughs) and i was like oh this is so sick and i think my product my favorite production elements are on that song i think it's just brilliant production and then the build-up um like you talked about um where you it's not just an instrumental build-up but you fuse it with the uh melody in there at the end which is such a beautiful combination too so yeah i'm gonna go with numbers thanks man yeah i i really like that song a lot too um i'm a big um david bazan fan also if you guys are familiar oh my gosh does that (laughs) does that resonate with you like that song oh yeah i think i was listening to a lot of bazan when i wrote that and so it has a bazan feel um, yes the production is like blanco yes production on that song yeah so blanco came out in like 2016 i wrote this song in 2018 i think there was definitely a connection there yeah Oh, and my buddy James man. McAllister actually played a lot on Blanco and he played on this song. So I think there's just a lot of crossover there. Um, I really, yeah, I like that song a lot too. Um, in the chorus, I know what you mean. It's not like a typical chorus hook melody or anything like that. But one thing I think I actually think is kind of neat. And I don't know if you, I'm curious to know if you ever even noticed this as the listener, but yeah. the, the, um, the, the chorus melody begins for the first chorus it begins in one spot and then the second chorus it actually starts like a half a bar earlier yeah or maybe a full bar earlier or something like that but so basically like the first chorus and the second chorus are slightly different but the um well the melody is the same but but the way that the melody and the lyrics are falling they're actually falling in different, different spots and i again this kind of points back to my amateurism like i did that on accident <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. and it just felt cool that's you know? awesome and um so it, that was like a little happy accident that i was like really happy and excited about and i think it turned out really cool so um yeah i is this where i say my favorite song now this is if okay. you'd like to my favorite track I, it's been pretty consistent but it's kind of it's close numbers is definitely up there um but i really like i'm really proud of inside voices track five um that one's a pretty darker one. It kind of has like this Tom York um, 
thing going on with it. But um, I don't know. I just love the simplicity of it, the melody. Again, that's another song where it's not this very obvious pop hook chorus thing, but it, but you know, you listen to it two or three times, and it, I think it um, it kind of s- sinks in a little bit. And um, yeah, the production I think turned out really great. So I love that song. But because you guys also chose numbers, and and that's a really close tie for me, I'll say numbers. So as far as the podcast is concerned, <laughs> and the song you're gonna play, let's play. Let's, we've talked about it at length. Let's let's, let's play numbers. There we go. Oh, awesome. What the professional like? Look at Andrew Bell just setting up a clip. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All right, it's fine. Nate's been trying to kick me off the podcast for a while, so like Andrew Bell, welcome (laughs) to Long Distance Listening. You're the new host. All right, I'll take the better Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, thanks guys. So, so Andrew, it was such a pleasure having you. And again, I'm not talking about Andrew Jensen, (laughs) referring to Andrew Bell. for real, we're, we've been big fans for such a long time, and uh, we just really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about the record, but also to make the record. Yeah. It's so phenomenal, and we're really confident it will touch and speak to people of all genders across the world. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah let's hope. And so uh, <laughs> thanks so much, Andrew. You're the best. My pleasure, guys. I appreciate you having me on, and, um, and you know, for obviously... Um, you know, spending a lot of time with the music. I mean, you guys obviously uh, did your research and, and, and enjoyed the music, and I just that makes me really happy. So thank you, and uh, love to do it again sometime. All right, that was our interview with Andrew Bell. We hope that you guys really liked it as much as we enjoyed uh, interviewing Andrew Bell. So make sure you reach out to him. Thank him for joining us on the podcast. Make sure you get some merch from him. Check out the new album, all that fun stuff. Support him. There are still some tickets as of this recording um, for his shows. Um, So make sure that you go ahead and get those tickets as well since it will be well worth it. You can also support our podcast by subscribing to the podcast, by sharing the podcast, all that fun stuff. You can find us on our socials, uh, on Instagram and Twitter at LDL pod. And you can also email us at long distance listening at gmail.com. Nate is the quickest draw in the West as far as replying to those emails. So you email him. I guarantee he'll respond within three seconds. So, <laughs> Hey, you know what they say, over-promise, under-deliver. <laughs> so definitely reach out to Nate. Uh, he does want to reply to emails more often than uh, than business emails. So send us something fun. Send Nate a funny meme or something uh, at longdistancelistening at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. I just lost the game.